This is the Saxo Market Call. Daily insights on what is moving the financial markets. Hello and welcome to the Saxo Market Call. It's Wednesday, 11th of January, 2023. So we talked uh, yesterday about a reversal in U.S. markets, the, the little pump and dump that we saw on um, on Monday, but yesterday seeing reasonably strong session again. So we're still really stuck in limbo. And if you go over to slide two on our slide deck today, you can see that we've we sort of tried to enter that 3,900 plus area. We, we traded back uh, towards the, the, the bottom of that area, and now we're back in limbo. I mean, we're just not going anywhere. Clearly, markets awaiting inspiration, supposedly awaiting for the CPI. But if we look back at the last CPI release, although we did see tremendous volatility, Peter, uh, it was a soft data point. The market tried to run away to the upside. We've talked about the options exposure that drives some of the extreme swings uh, in volatility intraday there. What are we supposed to do uh, with a weak print when a weak print didn't really give us the big upside uh, boost last time? I don't know. I, I, I'm thoroughly confused here, but I don't know if you want to. I've, I've got some other stronger signals in other markets, but the U.S. equity market is a bit of a conundrum here. Yeah, I think there, I mean, what we talked about the other day and what we're going to talk about in the outlook is, you know, the <laughs> All these false signals that we are getting, I, I think there is a lot of noise basically in the uh, in the market. I I don't want to convey that I have any strong opinions or, or I know what is going to happen. Um, the only thing I I do know about equities is what I'm observing, and we talked about it, John, before we went in here, in the studio. I mean, the uh, the the moving averages in uh, across different lengths are just pointing in all directions. So I think we're just in this. Um, this limbo, as you said, and and but the, I think the big drivers are the big uh, interesting things going on in equities. I've, I've looked here on the theme baskets um, on the one week performance. You can see energy storage up more than ten percent, and we only have had two trading sessions. And yesterday's price action was really strong across uh, the whole hydrogen industry. Um, there was some big news uh, there. Uh, I don't want to bore people with that, but a uh, big contract coming out of hydrogen projects in Spain, among others. So there was a whole lift of that energy, uh, that part of the energy sector. And then e-commerce continues to be strong, driven by China. Yeah, um, baseload, the way to address baseload in Europe, uh, if you're going to use alternative, one of the very few, if not only, ways to do that, um, assuming no fossil fuels, assuming no nuclear, would be via some kind of hydrogen production to drive units uh, or some sort of energy generation when the wind is not blowing mm. and when the sun is not shining. It's an interesting story there. And we talked as well yesterday about, so we have uh, signs that the credit cycle is quite strong, but there there's some sentiment surveys that are quite weak. The, it was the ISM surveys, services survey that was so weak in December that set off this latest uh, plunge in the, the U.S. dollar and a, a drop in the U.S. yields. And another survey out yesterday, the ones you're putting up here on slide three, um, the business optimism index. So this is the NFIB small business optimism index. Not looking very healthy towards the uh, lower end of what we've seen uh, since the pandemic outbreak and uh, <clears throat> and really since uh, well back into the, the, the sort of the sluggish years after the global financial crisis. Yeah, I, I think I think this is, is part of this whole idea of confusing signals because on the one hand, on the one hand, we have uh, leading indicators really suggesting that a recession is incoming. We have the uh, the bond uh, the, the yield curve also signaling a recession recession incoming, and you have the business optimism index here. But I think Steam would say these are just stupid surveys. I think there's a lot of potential. You know, how do you feel? What did you get for breakfast, right? And then that really impacts <laughs> your 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 your, uh, your answers. Because on the other hand, inside this uh, business optimism index, you have subcomponents, and one of those are the the jobs openings hard to fill index, which you can see over here, and that 
fits very much with the the picture that the Fed is also signaling that we still have a labor market in the U.S. that is extremely tight, and 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 that's potentially going to drive these wage dynamics. So, um, and and when we talk about confusing signals, because another part of the market, and you mentioned this yesterday, and now I think we can put up a graph to really show it. So this is a lock chart of uh, U.S. commercial bank loans and visas seasonally adjusted. And uh, I put in the, the, a red line on the um, tracking the trend growth of credit growth going into the great financial crisis. And then I sort of uh, shifted that line to today. And as you can see, you know, the past 18 months or so, that blue curve there, which is the actual development, is on par or slightly has an angle that is slightly uh, less than the red line here. And that means that it's actually growing faster than going into the great financial crisis. So as you said the other day, we actually have a pretty big uh, credit boom, and that really doesn't resonate with uh, with an incoming recession at all. Well, that's true. But if you look back at uh, 07, 08, it's when the recession hit that that rolls over. So the question is, how mm, much is this leading or lagging? And, and obviously, at some point, it's going to. At some point, when is that point? It becomes a lagging indicator once the turn has already happened, and, and this will turn around. But it is it is a it is a conundrum here, uh, and um, yeah, so. None the wiser. Let's move forward, uh, and and that's on to what is clearly the market is really trying to price here, and that is some scale of a Chinese recovery, uh, and and anticipation of Chinese demand returning. Uh, Staying sent around a chart of some of the big uh, property developers' bonds, which have just you know completely turned around and are trading. Uh, there were different coupons and so on, but we're trading up at like eighty, uh, marked back up to eighty from you know perhaps half of that in some cases uh, for some of these bonds. Uh, clearly indicating, uh, clearly an indication of, of a turnaround in attitude and policy. And so you're seeing the metal spaces, uh, and in the metal space, the most clear sort of indication and anticipation that this is going to result in a real demand boost. Uh, copper has cleared some key levels, as we've talked about in, in recent podcasts. Gold is, is sort of consistently continues to hit new highs here, and the, and the retracements have been extremely shallow. Not quite so clear on Aussie dollar, which is the chart I have here on slide five on the FX overview, but there is a clear theme afoot. The Chinese renminbi is the strongest among uh, versus the um, uh, all of the G10 currencies. Uh, you see the gold reading momentum reading there at five. Uh, so yeah, th- this is the clearest signal. The question is uh, the real growth, actual on the ground growth impulse probably doesn't really start to arrive until after uh, Q1 even. I have a small comment on the uh, in the Chinese real estate developers because it's 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 a good observation by Steen and and that rebound in those corporate bond prices quite phenomenal. But uh, to me, the way I read it, given all the news and the speculation about what they they see pivot uh, inside the party, etc., I I see it almost as a as a handout, <clears throat> a bailout of the industry, but not a bailout where you say okay, you'll get twenty cents on the dollar. So you won't go totally broke, but you won't get a little bit out of it. The price action here really suggests that it's basically a handout from the government that will make you almost whole on your on your bonds. And and um, <clears throat> our strategist out of Hong Kong said that the that the Chinese banks have very clearly been instructed to extend credit into the into the sector. So I think it increases the odds of moral hazards longer term. But also massive uh, mall investments in the in the in the property sector, and parallels with the Japanese real estate crisis oh, yeah. uh, from the late '80s and the way that was uh, treated, and what led to the decade plus of total stagnation in the Japanese economy because there's this sort of unwillingness to write off the losses and 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 move along with business, which is more the U.S. style. For example, the global financial crisis, at least the average person on the street and Main Street did not feel a, a very strong recovery. But the banks, the ones that got themselves into trouble with all the uh, uh, the bad loans and the, and the poor behavior, 
uh, certainly recovered and recovered very quickly with the style of, of uh, response, policy response after the global financial crisis. Just one brief thing, and I don't know where to fit this in. I just you know, want to continue to highlight the debt ceiling issue. It really feels like these uh, some of these House Republicans are on the warpath to uh, create as much fuss as possible. Again, they, they because Congress has the power of the purse, they can really make themselves a nuisance on the uh, debt ceiling issue. There are some really exotic ways that the executive branch could avoid this, this uh, so-called trillion-dollar coin minting idea. Uh, we'll get into that uh, some other time. But uh, for now, just the general uh, pattern of what we're seeing here. We're seeing Republicans uh, set to hold a vote on abolishing the IRS and replacing that with a consumption tax only. Um I think it's you know, this is just silliness, but uh, I, I think you could argue that the uh, the U.S. tax code should be abolished and replaced with something far more simple because it's extremely Byzantine and it allows people with uh, sophisticated tax lawyers to avoid uh, all manner of, of paying taxes. Just ask uh, Donald J. Trump on that account, and, and then uh, you know things like you know forming these committees to investigate uh, the government itself, and on some scale, what is a fair response to? These uh, constant investigations, uh, the January 6th, uh, the tremendous interest in, in investigating that when it doesn't seem the population is, is all that interested in, in a, a dramatic uh, January 6th investigation. Just, uh, you know, this constant sort of uh, Civil War type stance on, on um, uh, you know, along partisan lines. And then we have this new issue, and I, and I have no idea how this will pan out, but Biden finding classified documents and apparently boxes of them and the parallels of that um, – and, and Biden's old private office or something, and the parallels of that with uh, the ones found in Mar-a-Lago after Trump left the White House. So it's it's an ugly situation, and uh, I think the risks are of this debt ceiling. Uh, there are concerns that this could be the worst episode since back in 2011 when it extended so long that uh, actually the U.S. debt, uh, strangely enough, was downgraded by some of the major, or at least one of the major bond ratings agencies. So I'll continue to track that. Uh, but... Uh, other stories, uh, interesting, uh, and by the way, actually, just uh, just along the lines of FX, so one story we highlighted in our quick take this morning we found really interesting, Peter, was that story of, um, uh, oh, you've got it in your stocks to watch today, so we can roll forward to that slide, so slide six, with uh, Uniqlo, one of these fast retailing brands, a Japanese one talking about a massive wage increase for uh, current permanent staff and raising their salaries for um, for new employees by some 17 plus percent. Yeah, it's an it is an incredible um, an incredible pay raise, and and I said to you, I mean, it, it's it's way beyond um, any productivity gains and any inflation that we're seeing. Although I have sort of my own little hypothesis that the a lot of the inflation numbers in some various Asian countries are being subdued um, for different reasons. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, forty percent. It sounds like a lot, John. I don't, I don't really think. I don't see how you fit that into. A, I mean, trying to preserve margins and that also because the weak Japanese yen makes it extremely more uh, expensive to uh, to 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 import certain things. So, well, well. Anyway, I think the other story we should mention, which I find super interesting, is that so Apple um, started its own chip production with the M1 processor that. Uh, Replace its previous suppliers. That has been a huge success for the MacBooks, the uh, the iPads, and the iPhones. And and yesterday we we uh, we talked about that story that Apple is now planning for 2025 to replace Broadcom's chips, which is mostly about you know the how the way you do uh, the communication part of the of the applications or the products of so the iPhone. That was a that was a big deal. And now uh, apparently Apple is aiming by 2024 to replace Samsung and LG for its screens. Um, and there's a there's quite a 
quite a big literature, literature in the in the business school world, if you will, about this theory in terms of uh, vertical integration versus not doing vertical integration. Because think about it: before you do a vertical integration, what you have is a competitive market among your suppliers, um, where you you can hopefully assume if there is enough competition that you're getting the the most sharpest price you can get. As soon as you integrate that into your value chain, you're you need you you must be hoping that you can do it cheaper. But the question is whether your innovation and the pressure for your inside uh, teams to do these things is is good enough. I think it's if you think back, John. I think you like history. If you think about the first company in the world that did a full vertical integration with big success, that was Standard Oil. They they did the full integration, and and that integration doesn't really exist to the same degree. You have it some some I mean to some extent in the oil and gas industry, but. Um, a lot of the things have fragmented into you know very competitive markets for for different subcomponents in the in that uh, energy integration. I'm I'm not so sure actually that this is a good idea by for Apple uh, longer term. I think in sh- in the short term they cut out the middleman. They can improve their profits. I think that will be rewarded in this inflationary environment. But I'm not so sure it's a good idea long term. But um, that's uh, that's just me. I I, I think I, I I'm not a huge fan. But I think Apple is doubling down on this integration that they have done since Steve Jobs, where you you do the whole the whole thing. Yeah, and then uh, that was on top of the like you said the the chips, uh, where they're designing their own chips to replace uh, some of that and and reap that part of the profit margin uh, with the vertical integration as well. All right, earnings to watch. We've we've talked these uh, big financials to death, I suppose, but. Um, Anything you want to highlight as we get into the interesting stuff later this week? I, I just wanted to add some flavor because they they coming out on Friday and I've put in here J.P. Morgan Chase's uh, Q4 uh, EPS estimate and um, well they, they they did get a big boost uh, during the uh, the fourth quarter and and they didn't really tank during December when you had that U.S. big U.S. banking conference where Jamie Dimon and some of the other banking CEOs in the U.S. sounded very. Uh, gloomy, I would say, on the on the U.S. economy. Um, it, but in recent days, you can, as you can see here, it, it, the the estimates have come down, but it's not much. I think that they will deliver a negative earnings, and it's there's a lot about you know driven by <clears throat> what ha- what has happened with um you know with 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 lower activity overall in um in the in the investment banking division. But as we talked about, and you can see that in the estimates and with the credit growth we talked about. They are rolling this loan book at increasingly high interest rates, and and there's a lot of credit growth at these new interest rates. I think the banks will begin to really see some very strong earnings. Yeah. Going so forward. as so as those interest rates rose so rapidly, of course, financing of deals dries up because people aren't getting the multiples they had, or they're suddenly having to revalue things at a much lower uh, level. But then the other side of the business is heating up. So interesting to see how that uh, the, the gears grinding, how that t- turns out in favor of their earnings as, as we or, or not as we move forward. All right, macro calendar, and I wanted to briefly mention, uh, I did mention the Aussie dollar is sort of breaking higher above that 200-day moving average. A lot of that connected with uh, the types of moves we're seeing in metals markets, certainly not connected with RBA uh, policy expectations, but we did see a hotter-than-expected CPI data point overnight. And that dollar view really is critical through the end of this week with the CPI up tomorrow uh, and the reaction function around that. So the sort of soft landing scenario, we get a softer U.S. CPI print. Uh, Yields can continue to sort of settle a bit lower. Driving risk sentiment, driving, uh, you know, helping out this anticipation around a Chinese eventual recovery, et cetera, uh, is what the market trending, uh, the market trending function is at the moment. Will it interrupt that or encourage it? I think is a key question through the end of this week. And that uh, hinges on everything risk sentiment, uh, commodities, the dollar, just about everything. 
a lot of correlation across those as well. So but almost nothing on the calendar for today. Uh, as we can see there on the overview on slide eight, uh, the U.S. CPI tomorrow and then the first Michigan Sentiment Survey Friday. It really is not about a heavy macro calendar, to say the least, after that uh, CPI data point. So we'll be watching that. And then as the earnings uh, come into view on Friday, really starts to pick up next week. And we'll have overviews of that with uh, Peter hitting the slopes apparently next week. Uh, in Norway. So uh, we'll kick off the earnings season with Peter on the slopes and uh, uh, the poor Saxon market call listeners having me to cover the uh, <laughs> their earnings outlook and the results as they come in. But we'll we'll they deal will. with it. We'll see where things stand. We'll have Ola back on the podcast as well tomorrow to talk commodities, which is one of the more interesting spaces right now. That's it for now. We'll be back tomorrow with the next Saxon market call. Thanks for listening. This has been the Saxo market call. For feedback and questions, reach out to us on Twitter at Saxo market call or by email, marketcall at saxobank.com. <laughs>